The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of those nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Okay. <clears throat> Let's pray. Dear God, we give thanks for this morning, the week after Easter. The crowd has thinned a little bit, Lord, but we know that we all have lives to live in many directions. And so we pray that though we may not always be here in this place, that we will be mindful of this community and of uh, this is where we, where we come for home base. We pray for our congregation to reach out to those who are in need, uh, to bring new life and new hope and new possibilities to this community and to our world. We pray for all the needs that are um, among us, that we will be attentive as pastors and staff. And we pray that music and uh, the beautiful ministry of music will soothe us and raise our sights and fill our souls with the promise of Easter so we might go from this place um, united and inspired to make a difference this week in someone's life in this world who needs to know you are alive and that Christ is risen. In your name we pray. Amen. Maybe you heard the old story about the Yugoslavian judge who was electrocuted. Well, it seems he reached up to turn on the light while standing in the bathtub. And aside from being a strange and bizarre story for my sermon opening, right, it is worth hanging in there with me. 
This guy's poor wife, you see, found his body sprawled on the bathroom floor. He was pronounced dead and was placed in the prep room under the crypt in the town cemetery for 24 hours before burial. You know what's coming? In the middle of the night, the judge came too. He looked around at his surroundings and hurriedly rushed over to the guard. As you might guess, the guard was terrified and ran off. Fortunately, though, the guard returned with a friend, and they released the newly revived judge. Now, the judge's first thought was to phone his wife and to reassure her that he really wasn't dead. Unfortunately, he got no farther than, Honey, it's me, when his wife screamed and fainted. So he decided that the best course of action was to enlist some of his friends. He went to the houses of several friends, but because they all had heard the news from his distraught wife, they all doubted that he really was alive. They were all convinced he was a ghost. Finally, in a last desperate effort, he called a friend in another city who had not heard about his death. And that person was able to convince his family and friends that the judge really was alive. Now, any resemblance to this morning's Easter story about believing Christ is risen from the grave are purely intentional. John's story of Jesus coming to the disciples in the upper room on Easter evening is a permanent part of our biblical readings every first Sunday after Easter. We have done many, many, many Holy Humor Sundays for six years at least, and therefore we have not preached on this for six years. Only John records this story, which has sadly given a negative label to Thomas. It haunted him ever since. Doubting Thomas, we call him, don't we? And anyone else who skeptically questions the possibility of a man rising from the dead or a bunch of other things are called doubting Thomases. But we need to stop blaming Thomas for needing more clarity on this incredible resurrection story. How many remember the times that he was mentioned in praiseworthy fashion in John's gospel? For instance, in John chapter 11, Jesus is summoned to the grave of his dear friend Lazarus, who has died. It's a bold Thomas who tells the other disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And on another occasion, in John's 14th chapter, one of the most popular texts for funerals, Jesus tells the disciples he's going ahead to prepare a place for them. Now it's Thomas who bravely asks, Lord, We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So, yes, Thomas wasn't with the disciples on that first Easter night in the upper room. He was off somewhere else running errands or perhaps grieving in his own way or seeking uh, to be cleansed from all the burial ritual that he was near recently. The other ten disciples was dead now. The other other disciple, Judas, was already dead. So we are down now to ten in the room. They were gathered 
in fear of arrest by authorities, however, those ten disciples. And then it is that Jesus, who first came to them, while all the doors were locked, Scripture says, and bolted against the Jewish leaders. So then the posture of a confident, faith-filled community of real men, is that what we see? No way. It's safe to imagine all the disciples doubted there would ever be any more stories of Jesus after this gruesome public death that most of them had witnessed. Not until Jesus physically came to them on Easter night and passed through the locked doors and then showed him his nail-scarred hands and side did they believe that Christ is risen. <clears throat> Are you sure? Christ <laughs> Let's try the believers again. Christ is risen. Oh, that feels better. See, Thomas missed all that communal response on Easter Eve. Who knows where he was? Perhaps, perhaps there's a revelation in here that it is only when we all gather together in community as the church that Christ's presence is most recognized. And when we try to go solo, our quest for the real God on our own strength and merit is sometimes not so successful on our own terms, on our own time, in our own special places, we just might miss him. Is that why the story says that one week later, not a day later, one week later, when Thomas is back with the whole group, only then Jesus chooses to appear again. It seems he just came for Thomas. He never blames Thomas for needing more proof just as Christ doesn't blame any of us here today, nor those outside these walls, if we have questions or are suspicious of the truth of exclusive religious groups, there is no penalty for the time Thomas needed to investigate this newfound truth. Jesus, I think, would agree with Frederick Beekner's great quote, whether your faith is that there is a God or that there is not a God, if you don't have any doubts, you are either kidding yourself or asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep us awake and moving. And what is Thomas's ultimate confession, his bold confession of faith? My Lord and my God. When Christ comes to him in his response to seeking him and engages him right where he is, Thomas believes. He gets a bum rap being called doubting Thomas, for he only was doubtful because he hadn't been there. As soon as he sees Christ, he doesn't need to touch a thing. He says, my Lord and my God, immediately. Just a little rehabilitation for Thomas here. Christ gives us a model, therefore, to, of those who are not sure they believe, whether family members or strangers on the street, be patient also with them. Don't judge. Meet them where they are. Show love and invite them into community with all of us who are all at times frail in our faith, even though we're robustly redeemed. 
Because doubt, my friends, is part of faith. As J. Stuart Taylor III says, my growth as Christian believer depends on the freedom and responsibility that God has given me to question my faith, to examine how I have come to believe something and why. To doubt can be a good thing because the God we may in fact be doubting is way too small. Faithful doubting is the mature capacity to live with ambiguity. It's about understanding that faith is not certainty about dogma. Faith is trust in the one who comes to us saying, peace be with you. Faith is trust in the one who breathes into us new spirit and life and empowers us to go back out into the world beyond the locked doors of our fears. End of quote from Mr. Taylor. We are all at different levels of faith in this room right now. From seniors who have honed their faith through trials and tribulations and temptations to young innocent toddlers who accept everything is true. But faith isn't necessarily given with age nor lessened with inexperience. And if you think that the only doubters are skeptics are those outside the church family, then we'd better look again. Some of us, if we be honest, still need converting for the first time. Oh, maybe we had a toe in the water, but it is so hard to go in whole hog, so to speak. Most of us need reconversion as well on a frequent basis. Why, you ask? Because our faith is not perhaps vibrant and contagious to those who observe our Christian habits. Typically, Lutherans are, <clears throat> should I say, a more quiet style of witnessing, not bold or gushy about our zeal for God. That's why I love hanging around sometimes with Bethlehem Baptist friends here in Ambler who show us how to do testimonies and how to stand up and say amen and not be ashamed at all. <clears throat> Pastor and author Brian McLaren <clears throat> spoke at our Lutheran seminary years ago about the need to translate the Christian message to a new seeker's 21st century generation. McLaren was preaching at a conference once, he said, where a young harpist in her 20s had questions about God. So she asked him, do you really think Christianity is good or are you just making it sound good? Then she emailed McLaren, I can't think of anyone else I can talk to about religion. How sad. He says people are sick of being preached to and marketed. They want a welcome, open place to come to for conversations about the scriptures and about skepticism. So let's consider, are we making ourselves accessible to those outside the circle of traditional faith so they could experience the living Jesus through us? Do they see him, Jesus, influencing our life at work, at the golf course, do we appear hungry ourselves to know God because we're delving into the scriptures? 
Are we open to tough questions from colleagues and folks at the gym? Or do we shut down spiritual conversations, locking doors against difficult questions? Like my uncle, my old uncle Pete used to say in his 80s, I have my faith worked out, so please don't mess with it now. Is that a helpful perspective for reaching out to others? Can we sit with the hungry seeker comfortably and not feel compelled to answer every question with certainty? Do we trust the Holy Spirit is alive and working overtime everywhere, including within us and around us every day? Think on these things, my friends, this Easter season. Christ came to Thomas. He was sensitive to his needs for coming to believe. He showed him his pierced side and his hands, but he didn't blame him. He just came. Why? Because Christ is risen. So we, this season, are Easter's ambassadors as we are every day. We are also sent out once we leave this place with the Holy Spirit's power. It doesn't get any better than calling on the Holy Spirit's fiery power to help us show others the unconditional love even though they're struggling to believe. And no, we don't have to have all the answers. Who does? Honestly, we aren't finished yet with our own struggles, most of us, are we? It's part of being human. And faith doesn't come by intellectual debate. I tried that in college for years. But it grows and it deepens when we come together in community every Sunday, when we lean on each other and prop each other up, when we confess and sing and pray and take God's word into our heart, then the Spirit will come alive again and lead us back into the world stronger and available to others. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. It's time to step up, my friends. It's Easter season for many weeks. Take the risk to share your faith with someone else. Answer their questions as best you can and then let God lead you to the rest of the answers because God is so willing, as he was to Thomas, to come to us in the midst of strong faith or in the midst of doubts, to stretch out his arms and to say, here I am. And we can say, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. And amen.